Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Psalm 23 is where I'd like to spend our time today uh, in a message that I've titled, More Than Enough. More than enough. Now, of course, when Pastor Ed uh, reached out to me and asked me to teach, my response back to him was, what, is there anything particular, particular you would like me to teach on? And what he shared was, I'd like for you to share something of how the Lord has ministered to you over these challenging, uh, past challenging months or the difficult, the difficult months. And definitely one of the, there, there has been, I mean, there's, you know, we, we go through seasons in life, some highs and lows, and I can tell you in ministry, uh, there, there's a lot of heavy things that come in serving people. Uh, in my personal life, uh, and just having three kids and married and busyness, uh, there's a lot of emotion that comes alongside with that. And yeah, there was absolutely a couple months ago that I just found myself in just this uh, really discouraged place. I think if I could put a word on it, the word was discouraged. And, you know, just it was in the time in my devotion that the Lord just really impressed for me to pause, to pause where I was at and to go to the book of Psalms. It's one of the things that we would recommend in grief for those that are struggling with grief is just to be in the book of Psalms, to be in the Psalms, 150 of them, these beautiful, poetic Hebrew poems and, uh, you know, songs that, that God has put into his word. And that's where I was at. I was just there and I was listening to them, reading them, meditating on them. And I can tell you Psalm 23 was really the one that God fully got my attention. I'm going to share a little bit about that tonight because it's towards the end of how God really used this particular verse to, to, to speak to my heart. But I want to, um, you know, share from this uh, very familiar psalm. I would say out of all the, all the psalms, Psalm 23 may just be the most popular and most quoted of all the psalms. So as we get started, why don't we open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll read it together. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful to be up here, God, to be able to speak your word. Uh, but Lord, we know that it's your word. It's your words that, that you have given to us, God, as a lamp to our feet, as a light to our path. God, and I pray as the request of my pastor, Lord, to share a word of how you've encouraged me and comforted me in a, in a difficult season. God, and as we continue to navigate through difficult seasons, trying times, worldwide pandemic, cultural pressures, just life, God, we commit this word to you, ask that you speak to us, that you minister to our hearts, and that you would bring comfort and encouragement. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful psalm. 
I'll get to in a little bit of how this really spoke to me during that uh, more intense time of discouragement. But before, let's, I want to break down uh, one thing right here at the, at the beginning. And just understanding um, for a quick application and, and interpretation here where it talks, starts off and it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and seeing this in our Bible, anytime we see in the Old Testament, the Lord in all caps, it's what's known as a tetragrammaton. It's this four-letter consonant of the, uh, the, the letters Y-H-W-H. And it's how God has chosen to reveal himself to mankind. It is the special, unique name that many biblical scholars have translated Yahweh. Yahweh. So the, anytime we see that in the Old Testament, you see that, you know that that's the tetragrammaton, that's the technical term for it, and, and this, this, this consonant, Yahweh. And so Yahweh means this. It is the self-existing and self-sustaining one. Self-existing and self-sustaining one. And, and really important is serving with youth. One of the questions when we talk, one of the topics I should say that comes up is evolution at times, right? And so even talking about evolution and macroevolution and Big Bang and things like that, we always go back to origin. I like to take them to the topic of origin. Well, something had to have always been there. Something had to have always been there. And they'll ask a, a follow-up question, and it usually goes like this. Well, then who created God? When you look at this name, Yahweh, the self-existing one, the self-sustaining one, I mean, it's really not a valid question because he has always been and always will be outside of time and not bound by uh, our limitations of time, space, and matter. But no, he is a self-existing, self-sustaining one. And that is the Lord. And I want to show you just a couple references in the scripture, how Jesus and this God, the God of the Old Testament, how we see this correlation. And we're going to, and of course, as I'm speaking to a room of predominantly Christians, and I'm sure well-versed in the scripture, you know that there's a major claim that Jesus had to claim deity, to claim that he was indeed God. And so we know from the Old Testament, God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush as, I am, I am that I say I am, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And we know Jesus in John chapter 8 would say the same thing in front of a group of religious leaders who, of course, and if you read that, um, that particular account, that those relig religious leaders knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew and wanted to take up stones to stone him because he said that. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself to us as the shepherd. That's what we just saw in Psalm 23, verse 1, the shepherd. And how does Jesus identify himself in the New Testament, John 10, 11, as the shepherd. God revealed himself in the Old Testament as the light. That's Psalm 27, verse 1. And of course, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. There's many more, and I could probably give you at least a half a dozen other examples. I'll, I'll breeze through a few that the rock in the Old Testament, God is proclaimed as the rock. Jesus said, upon, uh, Jesus said, build upon this rock, this firm foundation, Matthew 7. The ruler of all, God is referred to as the ruler of all. And Jesus is known as that in Matthew 28, the ruler of all. God is referred to in the Old Testament, the one who has words that will never pass away. And what do we see in the, in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24? Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. And if none of those fully do it for you, we can look at this one where 
God in the Old Testament is referred to as the first and the last. And of course, we know Jesus in the book of Revelation as he introduces himself and proclaims himself and speaks to John to speak to the churches and to proclaim the things that are, uh, that were, that are, and that will be. He says, I am the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. So pretty clear by point of application of who Jesus declared himself to be. He, he, we know that there is one God. The Bible couldn't be more clear. So other monotheistic religions would accuse Christians of believing in maybe a monotheism or uh, you know, the Trini- you know, th- a saying of the Trinity that we believe in three gods, but that's not true. We believe in one God that is coexistent, co-eternal with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a mystery that is indeed uh, too much for the human mind and capacity of our mind to fully explain, but the Bible is clear, and that's who it declares God to be. So as we're back in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, and as you consider the Lord is my shepherd, this Yahweh, I want you to relate it as we look back upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and who he declared to be to look at Jesus here as this Lord and shepherd. So again, Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the New Living Translation, it says, I have all that I need. Now maybe a a pause for a question for the group. I like to ask questions when I teach the Bible. That's one of the benefits of serving the youth. We we do questions back and forth. They ask me, I ask them. So I'm just going to ask you guys a question. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? And you can think of the definition of satisfied. It's this feeling of having what you need and desire. Are you satisfied? Now, I'm sure you know where I'm going. You guys have been part of Bible studies before. Of course, we're satisfied in the Lord. We're satisfied. But I want you to think maybe a little more practical. Think in the realms of life and circumstances, marriage and work. You know, think of all the different aspects of your life and ask that question, am I satisfied? Because most people live their life as if they're not satisfied. I'll I'll put myself on the hot seat uh, as I'm up here on stage with a mic and I'll tell you I'm a big football fan. Uh, I see a Denver Bronco hat out there, so go Broncos, all right? I'm a Broncos fan. I get the privilege. I know Pastor Ed always is highlighting his team, so let's go. Highlight some Colorado teams. You guys can give a little hoop if you want. That's all right. There you go. It's all right. <laughs> There's four Bronco fans in here. It's so sad. He has indoctrinated you to like other teams. That's okay. I'm a Colorado native too. So anyway, Broncos fan. And I can tell you satisfaction. In answering the question to satisfaction, was I satisfied this Sunday? Absolutely. It was nice. It was nice to see the Broncos finally get a win in September. Was I satisfied? that the other four or three, the other three AFC West teams also won, two of them at the end of the game. No, that was not satisfying. I can tell you in my past, and my wife is here, she can attest to this. She knew me both as an unbeliever and as a believer. I hope I'm getting better. Maybe I'm not fully better, but I hope I'm getting a little better in this area. That I used to get super stressed out. I mean, super stressed out when the Broncos lose, as if it was my team, as if I had some kind of stake in, the, in this game. And I would literally, it, it could ruin, I would definitely ruin my day. And then you'd have to be careful the next day, how I was doing, how I was feeling, <laughs> come approach with caution. 
And it can still feel like that. I can still feel that old me every once in a while. Fortunately, I don't, uh, you know, with the, with the Lord has me now here on Sundays so often. I mean, I don't pay as close attention as I used to, but I still care. And I still love the Broncos and I still support. But I can tell you that that's something that God is doing in my heart. You know, he knows. I see you. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> Jason, you're shaking your head no. Maybe. I'm getting better. Pray for me. The Lord's doing a work, okay? But I do sense that I'm getting better. But, you know, when you, when you look at this, of what brings satisfaction, you know, of course, you can look and say, yeah, there's things that are satisfying and things that are not. And there can be a healthiness in satisfaction. God modeled that when he created the, we get the creation account, Genesis 1, day 1, he created this and he saw that it was good and declared it to be good. And there was a satisfaction that we see even from God. But there's, the challenge can be this. The challenge is, can we honestly say that we are satisfied? Or maybe let's use a different word, use the word content. Can I be content? when I'm having relationship issues, whether it's in marriage or with the kids or with friends and family, can I still be satisfied and content in those points when health problems come my way, whether it's with me or a friend or a loved one, financial hardships, grieving a loved one, struggling with your work, just navigating through life and the cultural pressures, can I still say that I'm content can I still say, as I know that, that the Lord desires this in my heart, we know that the scripture says that, uh, that there's godliness and contentment. And I want to share another word as you think of this satisfaction. Satisfaction, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. This is Paul speaking here. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret in every situation whether it's with a full stomach or with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. My heart tonight, as we look at this section of scripture, is ultimately that we would come to this place to see that Jesus is more than enough for us. That despite my external circumstances, that having the Lord in my life, that he is enough. And one of the, the point of application I'd give you is this, that true satisfaction is not going to come by focusing on our current circumstances, but satisfaction is going to come by developing a perspective beyond the circumstances. And I want you to think of Jesus himself at the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that Jesus, you could say on a practical level, was he satisfied being there? No, he prayed, God would remove this from me, but contentment was still there. Because we know, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And, and we can see even in other scripture that it says that Jesus had this perspective beyond the moment. So he wasn't just dreading the cross, although he wasn't uh, particularly fond of the idea. But we know Jesus, it says in Hebrews, that he was, it was for the joy set before him, that he looked past the shame, that he endured the cross, despising his shame that he knew what would come from that, that this would be, be the redemptive work and plan that God would have. So satisfaction isn't going to come if we just only look at current circumstances. We need to learn, look beyond those circumstances. So whatever may be a place of discontentment 
or being not satisfied right now, my encouragement is to look past that circumstance. And what can you see beyond that circumstance? Verse 1, again, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I would be doing a disservice if I didn't highlight that verse a little bit more, that the Lord is my shepherd. Well, we know Jesus is a shepherd. We see that in John chapter 10. He's a shepherd. Uh, We know that Peter declared Jesus to be the chief shepherd. But what I love about this is it says the Lord is my shepherd. And of course, this is David, you know, the great uh, one shepherd himself at one point, warrior, turned warrior, turned king with this testimony, a man after God's own heart. But as the word of God is living and powerful, that it's useful in all circumstances, we can look at this word and apply it to our life. And I can say and declare, and you can say and declare, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It's this intimate relationship that we get to have with our creator, that the Lord is my shepherd. Which, what does a shepherd do? Well, a shepherd protects, a shepherd provides, and a shepherd guides Right, These aspects of who Jesus is in our life, he'll do those things for us, and he is those things to us, but then there's this humbling factor in that. If Jesus is the shepherd, what does that make me? What does that make you? Yeah, sheep, right? This is an open book. Yeah, it makes me a sheep. I can tell you, I don't believe in spirit animals, of course. I'm a, Bible pa- I'm a pastor and a Bible teacher, but if I got to choose a spirit animal, it would not be a sheep. No, thank you. <laughs> Micah, oh yeah, Micah did this image. Uh, you guys can see sheep here. I don't like to be likened to a sheep, but that's a reality. There's a reality uh, to, if, if the Jesus is my shepherd, well then that would make me a sheep. And a sheep is dependent. And a sheep needs power that is greater than they possess, both to survive and to thrive. So I can handle that. And I can agree with that because I lived years of my life apart from the Lord. And I can totally see the difference. I can totally uh, declare to you that trying to do life in your strength and in your ability and depending on yourself, it just doesn't work. It's not sustaining. Success is fleeting. And there's always this emptiness. But the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, I'll be a sheep. I'll be a sheep. In John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus would say it this way. Abide in me, and I in you. And as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What a simple reminder is you think that the Lord is my shepherd, that he is my protector, my provider, my guide to know what do I need to do but to stay put and remain in him, abide in Christ. And so this contentment, and that's where we get to, and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I have everything I need. This godly contentment comes when we discover who we are, but more importantly, whose we are. So it can be challenging to consider ourselves a sheep, but I find it a privilege. Even as the early church would take on the title Christian, which was uh, originally a, a derogatory term to call someone a Christian, you know, I can look at it and say, well, yes, I'm content in being the sheep because I know who is my shepherd. And I know, too, that the Lord has uh, 
great plans for us, even as his sheep, and he uses us in mighty ways. Let's move on to verse two. In verse two, it says that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. In this verse, as we think about who Jesus is, each verse we're going to pull out another thing to know that he is more than enough. But for this one, Jesus is my rest. Jesus is my rest. That's who he is, and he's more than enough in this way. And it's, it's kind of a convicting scripture there, slightly, because it says that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I know why he makes me lay down, because I'm usually too busy to lay down myself. I'm usually too focused, and having so much, I gave you a snippet of a lot of the things that I have going on, it's like, man, I don't have time to be quarantined again, Lord. I try to I try to debate with the Lord sometimes. I don't have time for, for this, or I don't have time to be, for my back to be out. Uh, I don't have time. I don't have to. But the Lord will times will make us rest. He will make us to rest. And why? Because we don't always know what's best for us. Remember, to be a sheep, we have to recognize that there's, a, there's knowledge and a power beyond our own. And so the Lord will cause us to rest at times. And, and, but I love where he, call, where he calls us to rest, at these green pastures. So he has this great plan for us. And I just love this picture that the Lord would make me to lie down in green pastures. He doesn't make me to lie down in this big mess I created. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, peace. He brings me to a place of peace. And don't we crave peace? Now, we will, a lot of times are craving peace from very external uh, circumstances, but the greatest peace God will give us is this internal peace. We, we see this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where it declares, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I had this, preparing this study, I had this uh, just kind of eye-opening application. Just, it was just cool, just me and the Lord, but it was this here, that praying will lead us to praise, and praising will lead us to peace. And I was just thinking about my own life and just going through challenges in my life and some of the difficulties, and when you stop and pray, I, I know for me, most often when I'm pause and pray, my supplication and my intercession just so often just turns into praising God. And then I'll just turn on praise and worship, and I'm just, you know, there's this moment of praising God, and before you know it, you're just in this green pasture, right? This, this symbolic green pasture where God would have me to lay to the still waters where he would lead me beside. So again, you know, just to, to recap that thought, you know, because it was just you know, this, this thought that, that God had given me, praying will lead us to praise and praising will lead us to peace. And I think for some, we may just need to hear this so often. I know I need to hear this, that God is just calling us to slow down, to be still, to listen carefully, to trust him. If you like to read a proverb every day, I know I do. And so the first, the first of the month, every time on the first, I get to Proverbs chapter one, and I'm just reminded of this voice of wisdom crying out, from the busyness of life and says that whoever listens and inclines their ear to me, that there's these blessings, but he who doesn't uh, is like the fool 
and, and just the, their ways are unstable. And I know for me, I, I want to be listening for the Lord. And, so, and oftentimes in my busyness and my distraction and maybe uh, trying to take things into my own strength, I miss that. But this is where God is leading us. And you think about that Jesus is my rest. In verse 3, in verse 3, it says that he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So who is Jesus here? Jesus is my redeemer and Jesus is my sustainer. When it says he restores my soul, it really speaks of this salvation work that Jesus does in a believer. Not just the eternal salvation, but the saving work that Jesus does in our life. And, and you know, to be restored means that I'm in need of restoring, right? You can see maybe I'm in a place, maybe we've been in a place of rebellion. Uh, we've been in this place of, you know, we know that discontent is not from the Lord, maybe places of worry and fear. And if you find yourself in that, this is where the Lord wants to restore that, to restore your soul, restore your soul. So Jesus does that as the redeemer and the sustainer. I see Jesus as my leader, right? Because he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is one of the things that led me to the Lord to recognize that I can't do righteous things apart from him. I can't do righteous things apart from him. So he's the one that leads me to this righteousness. He's the one that has these good things prepared for me, like Ephesians 2.10 would say, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So just a, a very uh, just comforting part of the scripture there that he restores my soul and leads me in righteousness past, not for my sake, not to glorify my name, or anybody else's name, but for his name's sake. I think that's another important thing to, to recognize there. It's for his name's sake. It's not for my own glory, but it's for the glory of the king. It's for the glory of the shepherd. I got to remember, I'm just a sheep. Verse four. Verse four. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm going to pause. I just had this thought. I feel like I'm going to just share it because, you know, growing up, I, I spent 27 years of my life apart from the Lord. And unfortunately, when you do that, you get a lot of junk in here, right? Partly, I used to listen to a lot of hip hop. And so don't recommend you guys go do this and Google shirts, all the, all the secular rappers that use this verse, but there's a few of them. And I was, I was officiating, I told you I was officiating a memorial service this week. And I saw on the, on the, um, on the order of service that the first song before I was going to go up was a song by Tupac. And I'm like, oh, I probably should say something. You know, I'm praying. I'm just like, okay, I'm, go I'm going to pray. Because, you know, I, I have a line that I'm like, okay, I want to bless this family and serve this family. But I also know that the Lord hasn't called me to compromise. Uh, it's been a long time since I've listened to Tupac. So praise the Lord for that. But I did. I pulled up the song because I wanted to see like, what does it even say? And is it, because if it's got explicits and all that, I'm not going to do this. Um, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. It was, it was definitely, I've heard much worse from him. And I was like, even though it, he quoted this uh, scripture in there, and that's what reminded me of that. But the Lord used it to take that thought, not this, not, I didn't quote from this particular Psalm, but, uh, uh, but I 
quoted from another psalm that he records all of our tears in a bottle. And that's how the Lord was even in that was able to let me use this in, uh, for a family. And of course, a familiar verse, but let's, let's break this up in a, uh, in a more biblical way than these secular rap artists. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So first off, who is Jesus here? Jesus is my comforter, he's my counselor, and he's my shelter. Probably a better translation is uh, one like we would find in the New Living Translation, the darkest valley, uh, as opposed to the shadow, uh, the valley of the shadow of death. Because when you think about it, a shadow really has no substance. But the heart of what the psalmist is sharing is this deep, dark valley. And man, can we relate to that. If you lived any amount of life, you can say, I know what this dark valley is like. This dark valley, uh, a lot of times for many people, can look like depression, uh, it could look like a severe sickness or trials in their family. It could look like persecution. It could look like a lot of things. What this dark valley is. But when we think about this, that even when we have a reason to be afraid, we don't have to fear. Because Jesus, it, it tells us that the Lord is with us. First of all, he, that I, he, yeah, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But we know also that the Lord is with me. And when you think of this rod and the staff, uh, you know, of course, as a shepherd, for a shepherd, the rod and the staff can be twofold purpose. You know, the staff to guide and correct. And so going through difficult times of life, you know, if the, the rod and staff comfort me, well, the staff comforts me because in that I don't have to figure it out in this deep, dark valley. Uh, you know, I just will come and trust and stay abiding in, that, in the Lord like we saw in John 15. But the rod, right, the rod was used so often to correct the sheep. Uh, sometimes we're in a valley self-inflicted, and it's just a reality, right? Not everything bad that happens to us is a result of our own doing, but we have to say some things are. Some things I, or my decisions and me trying to be the shepherd as the sheep and wandering and doing my thing. And um, we need the rod and the rod is good. The rod is love. And we know Jesus is, of course, he's meek and loving and kind. But Jesus is, a, he corrects. He's a disciplinary. And that's what love does. Any good parent knows that. That's what love does. Uh, love is, that's an aspect of love and it, it's comforting in the right heart, right? And of course, with the heart of the good shepherd Jesus, this brings great comfort. Let's go forward to verse five. It says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And what I saw in this particular verse is that Jesus is my victory and strength. And I want you to know, just as I make this personal that Jesus is my, Jesus is my, I hope that you make it personal for you too. And this is just the, the blessing, even how it started, that the Lord is my shepherd, but Jesus is my victory and he is my strength. And you notice that he prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As David would write this, David had many enemies, many that would come after him, even those in his own family. So David was very familiar with what an enemy looked like. You know, both, both from external countries and, um, and nations and tribes coming after him, and even, uh, you know, King Saul and Absalom, and, you know, many examples that you can see um, throughout the scripture and read about the life of David. 
But we look at it for, I'll put myself again on that seat and say, well, I don't fortunately have a lot of physical enemies. I definitely have people against me from time to time. You, you know, you get those little disagreements with people, but I can't really look around and say, well, I've got, you know, just this person just out to get me. But there is someone for sure that's out to get me. You know, we know uh, the devil, his plan to steal, kill, and destroy, to divert us, to distract us, to demoralize us, to destroy us. And Jesus doesn't tell us to run, not because I'm this powerful sheep, but because I'm the sheep that has the good shepherd. And that he says, I prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. You think about this from a war standpoint. That is a bad battle strategy to set up a table in the presence of your enemy where you're sitting down and you're comfortable. But you know, but this is what the Lord does. And this is the power that the Lord gives that he doesn't tell us to run and flee. But even as we recognize in Ephesians 6, because maybe for some of you, you wouldn't have that declaration I do. And you say, there are people against me. There are enemies standing against me. But we know our battle isn't against flesh and blood enemies, but against the principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. Ephesians 6 would tell us that. But Jesus tells us to stand in him because really that's where we find our victory. He goes on to say that you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And just the symbolism here, I'm sure you've heard and may be familiar with this, but the symbolism of oil is, of course, this representation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And what a good picture of where this power comes from. And we're going to see it uh, if you stay in the weekend study in the book of Acts. You're going to hear about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Ed's, I'm sure, going to spend some time on that particular um, section where the new believers were just empowered and baptized in the Spirit just as was promised. But this overflowing, this oil symbolic of this filling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit. And maybe for some, that's what we need to pray today. I know probably most of you here on a Wednesday night Bible study have already given your life to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You can say, the Lord is my shepherd. But maybe you need to pray for this special anointing, the special anointing and pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to, to live and do the life that God has called you to live. You know, I don't want to be, I was talking to the kids recently, I don't want to miss out on all that God has for me. He says, I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly. But you know, I can make choices. God gives me free will and the ability to make decision. And I can totally make decisions against God. And yes, I'm bound for heaven and I'm confident my salvation is secure in him. But can I wander? Can I stumble? Can I drift? Absolutely. None of us are immune to that. And so this filling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit is what we need. And just, you know, it, it, Jesus taught us that in the Sermon on the Mount and in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 11, he taught us to pray that if any ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. And if anyone asks for the Holy Spirit, will God not bless you with that? Of course he will. So you pray that. That's a prayer that you can say God is going to answer to anoint you and overflow you with this power. Romans 8.31 tells us, what then, uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
takes me back to a previous point to just remember not to just look at the problem, but to look past the problem, beyond the problem, to the Lord. So I have this takeaway, to not panic in the battle, but to find your strength in Jesus and to trust that the victory is secured in him. I was preparing the notes, just going through them this afternoon and just going back over it. And God gave me a conviction with this particular point because I'm not in the midst of some intense battle right now. Like I said, this was a couple months ago that the Lord put this scripture on my heart. It was a time of discouragement and the Lord delivered me from that. And so the conviction was this. Would I say that if I was in the midst of a tough, maybe the toughest trial of my life, could I declare that? And you know, as I weighed that question before me and the Lord and just in prayer, here was my conclusion. Is that it would be like Peter in John chapter 6, where the disciples heard a a tough word. And many of the disciples, many of the followers of Jesus turned away that day. And Jesus would look at the 12 and say, do you want to leave too? And I would declare like Peter to say, Lord, where else would I go? That you're the one that has eternal lives. I know I won't be flawless in the in the trial. And, you know, I may need to go back and re-listen and review my own notes in some of these ways. But what I can say is Jesus is indeed my strength and Jesus does indeed lead us to that victory. I can declare it and I know that that is true. So where else would I go, Lord? Where else would I go? Verse six, in the final verse, I was a little concerned because I have three times as much notes as I have when I teach for the youth. So I was like, man, I might go way over, but we're doing great. We're right on time. Verse 6 is really the verse that stood out to me. Uh, when I was in that, that season of discouragement, uh, that, that really, when I just went to the book of Psalms and paused my devotion time and was seeking the Lord and kind of praying and praising, it was verse 6 is the one that, that was the, the true verse that just kind of snapped me back into perspective, where it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And just a confession, that I can be a little negative sometimes. Negative on myself, I'm by far my biggest critic. I think some of us can relate, and that you can just see, uh, you know, some people call it pessimist. My wife would call it pessimist. I know Pastor Ed calls it realist. I'm kind of somewhere in between the pessimist and the realist. Uh, sometimes uh, a little negative and You know, I just needed to hear that truth, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, because things don't always feel good, and I don't always sense that mercy, but I know if God declares it and as Jesus is my shepherd, I know it's true. In my heart of hearts, and as you put on the spiritual armor that God told us to, the first thing, the belt of truth, you just know that's true. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So we got to get our focus beyond just our challenges. And when you think of this goodness, I was reminded of this, that surely goodness shall follow me. This goodness speaks to the grace of God. The same way I came to the Lord with this realization that there was nothing good and righteous in and of myself, but it's all about the goodness of God and what he's done for me. That's what brought me to him and just coming to this acknowledgement that that's who Jesus is. But also, that's how we stay That's how we continue on with the Lord. That's how we continue to grow and mature is by his grace, by his goodness. 
that this goodness would follow me. And then this word mercy, if you look it up in the Hebrew, uh, it's this really powerful word that speaks to loving kindness, uh, that, that speaks to really a lot of aspects of faithfulness, love, um, very similar qualities that we see in the New Testament of the Holy Spirit, or walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Against such there is no law. And what's kind of cool about that, 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 that kind of revelation you could say, is if the Lord, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, the way that I started by God's goodness and grace, the way that I continue on is how God is going to lead me according to his grace. And this mercy speaks to, you know, not only the mercy God wants to pour out upon me, but also how God is going to use me, how, how God wants to use me and desires to use me, how he desires to use us is to, to walk in, that, in the spirit, to display those things from our life. And we know not everything's going to be good, but here's what we do know, that God's grace is inexhaustible. And that he want, the work that he does in us and through us is unending until the day of Christ, right? Philippians 1.6. I'll pull it, pull it up in my Bible here. This is just, again, I think a word that the Lord would have for us here in this moment. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, is it really kind of speaks to that. Where it says that we can be confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. As you think about goodness and mercy following you, I just want you to remember to fill your mind with that reality and this truth and just build this firm foundation in the promises of Jesus. You could think of Matthew 7. Jesus says he, I'm going to turn there too. You guys can turn with me if you want. Matthew chapter 7. Because I think as we kind of wind down just to let these truths just sink in, this truth that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And we know that just because God says goodness and mercy will follow me doesn't mean everything that happens to me is going to be good. But I do know that God remains good. That I do know that my perspective can be beyond my circumstance. And I do know that mercy will follow me, that God has a plan and a purpose through this, and that he wants me to reflect him and shine his love even in that. And we hold on to those things. We build our house upon this rock, these sayings of the word of God. As we wrap up, I just, here's my thought. And they're all starting with D words, but just I, I would um, just ask you again to reflect as I started early, just are you satisfied? I would ask, do any of these describe you? Do you find yourself today doubting or in a position of doubt? Maybe primarily towards the Lord? Or is there anything about God's word that you say, I just, you know, I don't, I don't know and I don't believe. If they're doubting or maybe you're discouraged, that's what really ministered to me through this psalm was being discouraged. Or maybe you find yourself discontent. You can just say, I'm not content, satisfied with, with where I'm at in life. I wish I was not born in the family I'm in. I, I wish that this wasn't my circumstance 
you know, people that struggle maybe with the parents' issues. And I, you know, again, a lot of these things with our youth, one of the sad realities of how many of our students will, uh, or kids really, youth, uh, will, will resort to cutting and these releases. And it's just like this, this heaviness. And so much of it comes down to not even just depression, but discontent of who they are and whose they are or depression. Maybe you find yourself today depressed and you just really need to remember today that Jesus is more than enough, that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And all the things that we looked at today in our Bible study in the Psalm 23, I mean, we could pull out even more of who Jesus is and we could continue to read through the Psalms and through the Bible and see he is so much Not only is Jesus enough, but Jesus is more than enough. As we close, I, of course, would just give an invitation that if anyone doesn't have a salvation in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's very simple. Because we know that this Lord, my shepherd, the the self-existing and self-sustaining one humbled himself came down to earth and took on human nature and lived a perfect life and died a death he didn't deserve. And he died that death on behalf of me, on behalf of you, on behalf of every person that has ever lived because we have all sinned and fallen short of the perfect standard of God. And Jesus didn't have to do that. He chose to do that because of his goodness and his grace and his desire for his creation to be restored to him. So if you want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you've never done that, you need to acknowledge your sin before a holy and righteous God and confess that he sent his son Jesus Christ to live for you, to die for you, to be buried for you, and to rise again from the grave for you. That Jesus Christ is indeed alive today and Jesus Christ is indeed coming back. As I believe most of the you know, the church is, you know, we're here on a Wednesday night. I think my main heart is just, to, is just to pray, is to pray over that first question and to say, can I declare like David did at the beginning, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And can I trust and believe how the psalm ends, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm just going to close, uh, instead of in the traditional prayer, I'm going to, I believe, Avant, when he gave that point in number six, I believe this is the open door that the Lord has given me to just declare this. And I'll declare it over the congregation before uh, the worship team comes back up. It's simply this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.